we ready? Let's get ready to hear the word this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your incredible presence. We know you're here with us, Lord. We know your word is about to speak to us, and Lord, it is going to go in, it is going to separate and divide because it is living and it is active, Father. And we thank you that your word is able to separate all our own thoughts, Father, from the truth of the word of God that you are speaking into our spirit man. Lord, I ask that every ear would hear, every eye would see, every spiritual eye, every spiritual ear, Lord, would be opened to be able to see, to be able to hear, to be able to know and to understand with the ear of a disciple, Lord, to know what you are saying to each and every one of us. Father, take these words that I give here this morning. I ask that you would preach through me, speak through me, let your revelation flow through me and anoint me, Heavenly Father, but also anoint the ears of the hearers to hear what you are actually saying to them. Let the word of God come alive in their hearts and in their minds and in their souls. Let the word of God spring up on the inside and let them get so excited that they can barely contain what the word of God is saying to them. And I thank you for that, Father, that you are in control and uh, you are going to do what you want to do here this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're going to start with a couple of scriptures. So let's uh, open up to 2 Chronicles chapter 5, starting at verse 3. This has to be one of my favorite passages in the Bible. And like I say, I think I say that every week about different scriptures, but this is fairly significant. And I remember hearing about this, this, this passage of scripture when I was a baby Christian, and it hit me so hard. And I thought, God, we're going to see this happen in, in our lifetime. So let's go to 2 Chronicles 5.3. Starting there, and then after that, we're going to look in the Psalms. So here's the first passage of Scripture, and we'll go from verse 3 right down to verse 14. So get ready with me, all right? All the men of Israel assembled themselves to the king at the feast. All right, so we see already this is some form of grand event that's about to happen. That is, in the seventh month, then all the elders of Israel came, and the Levites took up the ark. They brought up the ark, and the tent of meeting, and all the holy utensils which were in the tent. The Levitical priests brought them up. And King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel who were assembled with him before the ark were sacrificing so many sheep and oxen that they could not be counted or numbered. So this was an incredible celebration that they were about to have. They're bringing all the utensils that were part of the, the mosaic tent, the, the mosaic covenantal tent, the tent of meeting, uh, that was under what Moses had instituted. And here they are, they've got the Ark of the Covenant, which represents the presence of God. They've got all the, the, the holy utensils, which uh, represents all the aspects that were going to go into uh, bringing about the presence of God in that place. And the Levitical priests who were set apart to serve God, they were the ones that were bringing them up. So this was a holy occasion. This is a celebratory occasion, and it was a very significant occasion. So then it goes on, verse 7. Then the priests brought the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord to its place, into the inner sanctuary of the house, to the Holy of Holies, under the wings of the cherubim. For the cherubim spread their wings over the place of the Ark, so that the cherubim made a covering over the Ark and its poles. The poles were so long that the ends of the poles of the Ark could be seen in front of the inner sanctuary. But they could not be seen outside, and they are there to this day. There was nothing in the ark except the two tablets which Moses put there at Horeb, where the Lord made a covenant with the sons of Israel when they came out of Egypt. So this is uh, an incredible moment where they're bringing everything into this newly prepared temple, this Solomon's temple they're about to dedicate. 
And it says in verse 11, when the priests came forth from the holy place, for all the priests who were present had sanctified themselves with regard to division. So in other words, there was an incredible sense of preparation. Not only were they following very uh, spiritual uh, instructions here, and there was an incredible spiritual significance in what they were doing, uh, but there was also a, an individual aspect of their preparation as the Levitical uh, singers. And it says, uh, and, the, and the priests, sorry. And it says then that all the Levitical singers, Asaph, Heman, Jeduthun, and their sons and kinsmen, clothed in fine linen with cymbals, harps, and lyres, standing east of the altar, and with them 120 priests. So we've, we've got to understand that nothing is um, insignificant in the word of God. Even the fact that there was 120 reminds me of another time when 120 people were gathered in unison uh, in the upper room in the book of Acts and something powerful happened. So, but it says here that 120 priests were here and they were gathered and they were, they were ministering to the Lord and it says they were blowing trumpets. And then in verse 13 it says, in unison when the trumpeters and the singers were to make themselves heard with one voice to praise and to glorify the Lord. And when they lifted up their voice, accompanied by trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music, and when they praised the Lord saying, he indeed is good for his loving kindness is everlasting, then the house, the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. Wow, I remember hearing that. I would have only been a baby Christian, about one or two years old in the Lord. I remember my spiritual father, Kevin Connor, reading this out and talking about this. And when I read it, I thought, I will live to see the day when this happens. When the cloud, I know I'm born to see this. Who wants to see the glory of God come in so powerfully that we can't even stand to, to minister? That's been happening a little bit, hasn't it, lately? Remember, we are God's house. This is his house. We are the household of God now. Anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself as usual. But here they are, praising God. And it's just amazing that, Josh, that you chose that song earlier where we sang and declared, blessed be your name, for he is good and his loving kindness is everlasting. There's something powerful with that praise that goes out. And uh, when you do DMS, you'll learn what that actually really means when we stand and we praise God like that. So this is a, a powerful passage of scripture. Then the second scripture is just one verse I want to read out of Psalm 22, verse 3. And it says this, in Psalm 22, verse 3, Yet you are holy, O you who are enthroned upon the praises of Israel. Okay. So <clears throat> we need to understand that God is painstakingly forming and uniting the church into a kingdom of priests with a very definite end in sight or a definite goal that God has in sight. 1 Peter 2 verse 5 says this, You also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood. Now we just read about the priesthood. Here we are now in, in New Testament times and once again we're hearing this terminology of the priesthood. Why is that? Why are we being built into a house? This isn't Solomon's temple anymore. This isn't a physical house that you can see, feel, touch, and, and stand in. Now, this is a spiritual house to house and to contain a holy priesthood. 
Now, why is that? Well, it says it's to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So what we can see here is that every believer is firstly being built up because to be able to build a house, you have to have good, strong stones, don't you? You can't just build a house with second-rate uh, materials. You have to use good material. If you, if you build you know, a house with throw-together material that you pick up from the side of the road, it might look good for, the, for a day or so, but then a wind will come along and it'll blow it down and the whole thing will be a shambles because you haven't taken care with the foundation, you haven't taken care with, the, with all the, the structural things that have to go in place, and you haven't taken care of the individual bricks. You know, we're getting a, a brick fence uh, looked at at the moment to be built up, and the, the guy who came around, the brickie who came around to have a look at it, uh, said, well, you know, and we showed him the bricks that we'd taken apart, and we said, just use these again. And he said, well, some of these aren't very good. And I said, how do you know? And he said, well, and he, he got up nice and close and he could see the defects in these bricks. He said, we have to clean them. We have to put them through a machine. We have to get them all strong again. And we have to make sure that we have good, strong bricks so that when we build this next structure, it will last. Now, it's the same thing for us. As God is building a house, a spiritual house, he's looking for living stones. He's looking for us to provide the individual building blocks for that house. But it's also for a purpose. It's as a house for a holy priesthood. Why? So that we will offer up these sacrifices that are acceptable to God. So first of all, we're being built up as individual living stones. And we have to remember, and like I've preached over the last, I think this is the 13th week on our Take Back Pentecost series, um, every circumstance of life or even every storm that we actually go through gives us an opportunity to be built up. It gives us that opportunity for us as an individual living stone, as a brick, to be looked up at very closely by the brick maker, to look at us to say, okay, I want to use this brick. I've got the exact spot. I know where to put it but I have to make sure it's going to be strong and that it will fit in perfectly with all the other bricks. I've got to make sure that the concrete sticks to it when I put it in. I've got to make sure that it's the same size and that when you stand back, it's a perfect building. So the master builder, Jesus himself, looks at every single one of us as a living stone. And sometimes, like I said last week, there is the if necessary aspect of our Christian walk. If necessary, we will go through the fire of God so that on the other side, we'll come out glorifying God. So it will be the proving of our faith. I've had many if necessary moments in my life. And uh, at the time, you kind of don't even want it to be necessary. You just want to curl up in a ball and die. But when you come out on the other side, it's like you go, okay, Lord, I'm ready. What do you want me to do next? And then he, he might go, well, actually, there's another if necessary, but we won't talk to you about that at the moment, Diane. Um, but remember, that's every storm gives us an opportunity to be built up, to be, to be prepared. It's always the individual preceding the corporate. But you can't have the corporate without the individual, and you can't be an individual without the corporate. You can't be a brick flapping around thinking you're doing great things for God if you're not part of a building structure. Because the household of God is going to contain the holy priesthood. All right? We're better together. We're stronger together. And the devil does everything he can. He throws everything at us that he can to separate us and to split apart. And we see that worldwide right now. An onslaught coming against the people of God, good people who love God, believing doctrines of demons, being hurt and harmed by so many things. 
But you know, God always provides a way of escape for us, but it's in the church. It's in the household of faith. It's in the house of God. So every circumstance of life, every right response in that storm and every right response in those circumstances forms us as a vessel of honour for his use. 1 Peter 1, 7, this is what I mentioned, so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honour at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So this purification of this, of this vessel of God, this living stone, is part of the making and the formation of us for the building of the spiritual temple, uh, which is what we just read earlier in, in chapter 2, verse 5. Proverbs 25, verse 4, just going on, continuing on in this little aspect of being a, a vessel that is ready for God, a living stone. I love this scripture. It says, Proverbs 25, verse 4, remove the dross from the silver and a silversmith can produce a vessel. We want to be con- vessels of, of, of honour for God. One, 2 Timothy 2 20 and 21 says, Now in a large house there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood and of earthenware, and some to honour and some to dishonour. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honour, sanctified, useful to the master. Useful. It's that brick again. There's that brick. At the moment, I've got a pile of bricks ready to be used in my mind but the bricklayer said, no, they're not ready. They've got to be cleaned up. They've got to, there's a lot of stuff, a lot of work that we've got to do on them. But we can be cleaned up, guys. We can actually be vessels of honor for God. And, you know, we talked about going through the fire of God if necessary. We will go through the fire. But it's so that we can come out as a vessel useful for the master and prepared for every good work. So why do we do all this? In order to participate in the grandest building ever seen way grander than any palace, any building you've ever seen on the earth, way bigger than any castle. This is a building that is made without hands. It's a spiritual house containing a priesthood. And you know what? We've got a very, very specific job to do. You know, last week, we saw the trail of what corporate prayer will do. We talked out of, we spoke out of Second Chronicles 20 uh, with Jehoshaphat and all of Judah. They were all gathered around. And we saw the trail of what prayer can do when we pray corporately together. They gathered with a purpose. There was a focus that says all of Judah were gathered together, including the women and children. Number two, they, they prayed in unity. There was unison in their prayer. This is what makes the house of God powerful when we gather together in unity. Now, they were scared. They were intimidated, remember, but they were there for a purpose. And then we, we, we read about how the Spirit of God came upon somebody who began to prophesy what was about to happen. This only happened as they gathered together in unison. And then the Holy Spirit spoke and he said, you know, you don't have to be afraid. This battle actually is the Lord's. And, uh, and then the worshippers, as we, as we saw last week, the worshippers, it says the Levites, the sons of the different tribes, they, they saw what God was saying. Even though they hadn't seen it in the natural yet, they actually hadn't seen the victory They hadn't tasted the victory yet. They hadn't seen it with their own eyes, but with the eyes of their heart, they saw it. They saw from the inside out. You know what? That's what makes us worshippers because we start to see from the inside out. And they began to see the victory so much so that they jumped up. They couldn't contain the praise 
Because the minute we start to understand what God is doing, the instant result will be praise towards God. And uh, they began to sing and they began to shout. And that's, that's powerful. That's agreement. Not only with one another. That's not just the prayer of agreement with one another. That's also, also the prayer of agreement with what the Holy Spirit is saying to the people of God. And when we start to agree with one another as the household of God, remember where two or three are gathered in my name, when there's agreement and we're, we're agreeing with him and what he is saying, do you know, nothing can calm us. Nothing can come against us. All those songs we sang this morning were amazing. If our God is for us, who can be against us? Romans 8, 31. Who can be against, if our God is for us, who can be against us? But we've got a partner. We've got to partner with each other. We have to partner with the truth of the word of God. We have to partner with the spirit of God. But this is what happens in prayer. So it's very powerful. And, you know, I, I like to give you testimonies of how Brahma and I see this, uh, this kind of partnership. And it's, it's so powerful. And I've given you different examples of, of how God has answered our prayers and done different things. But, you know, a few weeks ago, uh, he was up in Sherbrooke and I was driving up in the car. And, you know, we're always talking on the phone, always praying together. And if you're wondering where he is, he's in Indonesia again this week. But even this morning as I was driving along, he rang me and uh, he prayed for me in the car. He prayed for you guys. He prayed for the service this morning. And I know that there's something powerful when we agree together in prayer, in unity. And so we, we began to pray and we were, we were experiencing some pretty intense stuff in our, in our personal life a few weeks ago. Uh, without going into any details. And as we began to pray, we're, we're, we're worshiping God, we're, we're putting God first, we're fixing our eyes on Jesus. And, and as we're praying, because there, there'd been this situation where uh, uh, another pastor who's part of our generation, remember I always talk about the aspect of our generation, and uh, this pastor basically uh, bumped into Brahm and had almost mocked Brahm and I in, in what we were experiencing in our life. And so as we began to pray together and stand firm on the truth of the Word of God and, and stand firm on, on, on what God was doing, all of a sudden I got this picture of, of Brahm and I having a baton of truth. And it was our baton that we had to pass on to the next generation. And so we began, as soon as I saw it, you know, it's like I said last week, or the, I can't remember now, the weeks are blending into one. But you could be in the middle of a storm and you could feel the, the intensity coming against you. But when you run to God, when you run to His people, when you run to the presence of God, when you run to prayer, when you run to His name, He begins to speak. And all of a sudden, you get perspective in the storm. And you see what he's doing. And all of a sudden, I could see what he was doing. And I got a very clear picture that we were passing a baton on. And I began to pray like a crazy woman. I do a lot of crazy praying in the car. And uh, I began to say, God, we will pass that baton of truth on securely. It will not trip out of our hands. It will not slip out of our hands. And the next generation will grab it securely. So anyway, so then the next day, still going through stuff. So Bernadette. Our elder, another elder, and another pastor, powerful, powerful intercessor over here. I tell you what, this woman knows how to wreak havoc in the heavenlies. She's our, she's our um, SAS commando, you know. She's, our, she's the one that, that, that does it with us. And uh, we were having this powerful prayer time. She was in Drumkeen. I was in the car again. Bram was somewhere, somewhere else. You, see, you don't have to all be together. It's where two or three are gathered. We were gathered in the name of Jesus. We were on the phone, miles apart, but we were, we were gathered together. And we began to pray again for the circumstances in our life. And, you know, storms are horrible. Storms are scary. 
You know, storms can be quite fearful. Up at Sherbrooke, you know, the wind gets so strong, you start to get worried about trees falling down. And, you know, we live near the forest, and the forest almost sounds like this, like a huge ocean. It can be quite intimidating and scary. But, uh, you know, how much more so in, in a tornado, tornado or a hurricane, which I've also been a part of, it's very scary. So when we go through emotional storms, when we go through spiritual storms that we can't put our finger on, but they're there, it's terrible. But in the eye of the storm, when you run to the eye of the storm, when you don't run from it, but you run to the presence of God, you will find him in the storm. You will. You'll find him in the storm. See, we want to run from pain, but God says, no, I want you to look to me. And so we began to pray again. And the three of us were agreeing in prayer. And uh, once again, as we were praying over our personal circumstances, you see, this is what petitioning is. This is what supplication is. Sometimes you pray in the Holy Spirit, you pray in tongues. Other times you petition God and you bring your petitioning and your requests and you ask God for things. And we were doing that. But all of a sudden, once again, I got another perspective. I started in the middle of the storm of what we were going through. Suddenly, I see God's perspective. And the words, the stolen generation came to me. And all of a sudden I said, you know what? We are going to see a return of the stolen generation. And I began to see in my mind's eye all these kids that are the same age as my kids that that used to crowd the front and manifest, bawling their eyes out, prophesying, leading worship with our team, you know, emceeing, doing all sorts of things, pastors' kids, other leaders' kids in this city. And I saw kids that have now walked away and not believing in God, not going to church anymore. And I began to say, God, in the name of Jesus, I call back the stolen generation. Because I believe they were called to be part of what this next move of God is going to look like. And I believe many of us here know, like I say all the time, we know so many people who are from that stolen generation. But I'm like, God, no, you're going to bring them back in. And all of a sudden, as I'm praying in the car, I'm forgetting my personal circumstances. And once again, I can feel the spirit of might and the spirit of faith rising up in my heart. And I'm forgetting about my personal circumstances. And I'm calling in specific names. Children of people who have walked away from the truths of God's word, who are actually preaching doctrines of demons. But I'm like, God, the the next generation, they're a stolen generation. No, I'm calling them back in. Because I saw their hunger when they were younger. I saw their desire for truth when they were younger. So when we pray together, when we stand together, we pray praying that in. And you know what? We're going to pass the baton of truth on securely, and they're going to grab hold of it securely, and they're going to run with it. But see, that was a, an incredible example to me of seeing what God sees in his perspective in the middle of a storm. You sort of step back out of your own personal things and you start to see the bigger picture and what God is actually doing in the midst of all of this. And so God wants to do that. So, uh, you know, I've been talking about an anointing service that we're going to be having and it's going to be a laying on of hands, the transference of gifts, and we're going to teach into all of that. And I want you guys to pray about and think about anyone from the so-called stolen generation, your friends and, and fellow believers that used to be fellow believers that are no longer walking with the Lord. But I want you to start praying for them, yeah? Who's up for that? Hands up if you'll stand in the gap for some people like that. We all know people like that. Come on, let's pray them back in. Pray them back into the anointing of God, to the calling of God. This next decade is going to be profound. It's going to be incredible for the church. And we're going to see these people become part of that. Because you know what? They're not a stolen generation. They're a chosen generation. 
1 Peter 2, 9, but you are a chosen race. Come on, this is our identity. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession so that you may proclaim. There it is, that praise, that honor. The excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God and you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So how about we all agree together, yeah, in, that we're going to pray for the mercy of God to extend to people that we know have been discouraged, disheartened by what's happened in church, what's happened in their own walk. Let's, in prayer, let's ask God to bring them back in and let's invite them um, either to the anointing service or even to Prophetic Sunday where we're going to be prophesying over people. All right, so that's looking at the trail of what corporate prayer will do. Let's look at the trail of what corporate worship will do. And we have to remember there are two aspects that have to be remembered with the responsibility of becoming a holy priesthood. There are two aspects to this. The first one is that we have a different kind of sacrifice to offer, a different kind of sacrifice. Hebrews 13, 15 says this, Through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his, to his name. So, of course, in the Old Testament, it used to be the sacrifice of animals that had to be done. There had to be all sorts of sacrifices. But now, Jesus has fulfilled everything that is necessary on the cross. And now the only sacrifice that you and I have to give, not only as giving our own lives, but it's actually our worship, a sacrifice of praise. The fruit of our lips that gives thanks to his name. And... Uh, it's so powerful, you know, when we do that in, in unity together, when we do that in unison together, like we saw in, in 2 Chronicles 13, 5 to 13, it says, in unison, when the trumpeters and the singers were to make themselves heard with one voice to praise and glorify the Lord, that's when the cloud of the glory of God came. You see, we now as New Testament believers, when we're in unison, when we're united in purpose, united in what God wants to be, understanding our identity as a holy nation, as a, as a kingdom of priests, as, as um, God's own possession, a royal priesthood, that's who we are. And when we begin to praise God, something happens. But we've got to remember that a sacrifice is not easy. Sacrificing anything is not easy. Sacrificing chocolate is not easy for me. Sacrificing anything is not easy. but especially a sacrifice of praise. Sometimes we can be so heavy, we can be so depressed, so discouraged. Yeah, we go, through, we go through storms, don't we? We go through the circumstances of life. But a sacrifice of praise is the last thing we want to do, but that's why it's called a sacrifice of praise. There's a cost involved. There's a price to be paid, which is really our own emotions. And I know many of us here have done this before because I know I've seen you guys in your lives and I, I know how you operate and I've seen you operate in this principle and it's so powerful. And, uh, you know, so many times when Brahm and I are going through things and we just begin to declare, God, you are mighty. God, you are powerful. God, we love you. We magnify you. You know, even, even the other day on the phone, Brahm, who's having an, an absolute blast up there, they're, they're, they're getting him to do three or four meetings a day teaching and preaching classes, teaching classes, he's, you know, going into the theology of this, that, and the other, and all this stuff, that, and they're just drawing it out of him. But when he was on the phone to me, he says, I don't know, Di, but when I'm on my own, I feel this kind of anxiety in me, and my, my heart is just thumping. 
It's just beating so fast. And I said, what is it, babe? And he goes, I don't know. And you know what we did next? We just started praying. It's, it's instinctive for us. He says, I don't know, and I don't care. And you know what we did next? We began to praise God over the phone. He's in Indonesia. I'm here in Melbourne. Father, we just worship you. Lord, we glorify your name. You are mighty God. That's a sacrifice of praise because the anxiety doesn't teach you to do that. But that's what it's like. That's what we have to do. You know, because a sacrifice of praise will always change us first. You know, Philippians 4 says, Be anxious for nothing, but in all things through prayer and supplication or petitioning with thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. You're thanking him before you've seen the answer. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And then it goes on to say, and the peace of God that passes all understanding. In other words, it's completely and utterly illogical, the peace that he gives you. It doesn't make sense. But the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. You know, this is powerful. And I won't go into the testimonies of Brahm and I applying the scripture to when he was told he might have a brain tumor, when I'd had a, my first miscarriage. Like these, the word of God, is, it, it's, a, it's a first principle or a core value for Brahm and I. The word of God has to be paramount. It is the final authority in our lives. It has to rule our minds. It has to rule our emotions. And this is what it will do. You know, we bring those things to God. But a sacrifice of praise, even when you're anxious, you, are, you, you sacrifice your feelings, you ignore your feelings, they're still there. It's not denying that they're there, it's just saying, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put Jesus and, and magnify him above those feelings. That's what it means. And this will be the formation of you and I. Did you know that? This is what forms us. You know, we go through life. Sometimes we feel like we're crawling through life. You know, sometimes you hear the testimonies up the front and you go home and go, oh, I never see that kind of stuff. No, but you don't understand. The testimonies up the front started 30 or 40 years ago with hanging on for dear life. Will God do this? Will God? You, you learn to walk with the nature of God. It's, it's a learned relationship. You've got to learn who he is. You know, don't, go, don't shoot for the big stuff you hear from people who are in their 60s like us. You know, let God take you on that journey and journey with him every single day. You know, we read earlier um, that it says that we will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. Yeah? It takes time to prepare good vessels. So that was the first one. The first aspect was we have a different kind of sacrifice to offer, which is a sacrifice of praise. And the second one is this. A holy sacrifice to God always invokes his power and his glory. A holy sacrifice to God, a sacrifice of praise, always invokes his power and his glory. And, you know, I know this. this is, I've seen this. I've been a Christian now for 40 years. I, this is truth. This is the reality. Um, Psalm 22, verse 3 that we read before, that was one of our governing uh, or anchoring verses that we read at the beginning, says, you are enthroned upon the praises of Israel. In other words, he inhabits or he dwells or he sits specifically like a judge. This is what the, the meaning of that word actually is. He abides with us. So in other words, he invades our space. When we begin to worship God, when we give a sacrifice of praise to God, especially as a corporate gathering like this, it's very powerful 
because his government and his authority begins to be established. He is enthroned. What is a throne? A throne is a picture of dominion and empower. So as we begin to worship, it's like he sits down. He, it's like he, he embeds himself and he dwells and he sits in our praises. That's why last week, how intense was last week? The presence of God. I mean, I, I could barely stand. I had to get down on my knees just so that I wouldn't fall. It was, it was incredible. That's the weightiness of God, the, the heaviness of God. That's as we worship, he, he builds his throne. He literally, he literally did what we sang last week as the last song. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And as we worship, come and build your throne. He actually did that. He came and sat and, and he was abiding and dwelling and inhabiting and enthroning himself on our praises. So when we praise God together as a group, we create, he creates a supernatural environment. And that's where heaven and earth connect. And, um, and we know that that's through worship. In, in 2 Chronicles verse 13, it says, When they began to praise the Lord, saying, He is indeed good, for his loving kindness is foreverlasting, then the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud of God's glory. And you know that, that cloud, it was literally a cloud. They could see it. It was the glory of God. And throughout the Old Testament, the cloud of God often filled the house as they worshipped. And when you come forward into the New Testament, it actually tells us that the glory of God is the Spirit of God. The glory of God is the Spirit of God. And like I said in the first, I think, nine weeks of the anointing series when I talked about what the glory of God, you know, Romans 6 verse 4 says that Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. And then Romans 8 verse 11 says the Spirit of him who raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you. Now, Jesus was raised by the glory of the Father, and the Bible calls the glory of the Father the Spirit of God. So we call this the anointing. It's the manifestation of the Holy Spirit's presence. And, you know, if any of you have done DMS, and I know many of you have, I, I tell you the story of when I had a, a demon scream out of me in a meeting and um, <clears throat> the big deliverance that I had in 1982. And... Um, and that particular night, the cloud of God's glory was there because my friend saw it. And she said, Lord, you have to take this away. It's too bright for me to see. And I always remember Abby, my beautiful daughter-in-law over here. Um, she was about eight years old, I think. Is that what you, you reckon you were back in 2006? And she was here in church because she's grown up in this church. Um, and she remembers she actually saw... a. a, a well, it would have been the cloud of God's glory. It was in, a, in a, an incredible time of worship. And this is what she said to me, and I'm quoting her here. It was like a white-blue mist kind of circling a couple of chairs during worship. You know, he's here. He's here with us. In fact, Hebrews uh, 2 verse 12 says that I will declare your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly. I will sing praise to you. The Spirit of God is here. He's enthroned in our praises. Jesus sings through you and I, through his spirit. The glory of God is within us, and when we open our mouth with a sacrifice, we, we partner with the glory of God within us, and as we open our mouth and begin to sing, he begins to sing through us, and in the midst of the congregation, when we're gathered together, he's here. He's cloud. Like, guys, if we could only understand this, oh my gosh, when you come to church on Sunday, come ready. It's like I say, worship, present worship isn't the support act to the word of God. This is where we minister to him. And then he comes and he's enthroned. 
And we, we will see more and more supernatural things happen. Brahm and I, you know, when we used to do our worship ministry, we would see demons scream out of people in worship. Why? Because the throne of God was being established, his authority. And that's why it always invokes his power and his glory. So, we now have a dedication of a spiritual temple. We see God bringing the manifestation of his glory to us. And, um, you know, like we read out of Second Chronicles 20 last week, the battle is his and the battle is won by him. And the amazing aspect to that whole story is that once they began to see what God was doing, then Jehoshaphat sent the worshippers out first to lead the army. And, and the most powerful, powerful victory took place and God actually caused confusion in the enemy's camp and they set ambushes against each other. And all the people of God were doing were just worshipping God because a spiritual environment is created when we worship together. Now, whenever we see a restoration of worship, there is a restoration of God's order or his authority and his government. You know, throughout the Old Testament with Hezekiah, all the good kings, Josiah, there was a, when the restoration of the throne of David was happening in the right way, there was always partnering with that the restoration of the Davidic order of worship. And uh, it's amazing, in, in Acts chapter 15, verse 16, and I want to talk about this kind of stuff at, at a later date, but he, he begins to say how the tabernacle of David, will, which has fallen, will be returned. In fact, he says, after these things, I will, he's quoting Amos 9.11, he says, after these things, I will return and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen, and I will rebuild its re ruins and I will restore it so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. Now, that is a prophetic declaration. This is the council of elders at Jerusalem because they're trying to figure out what God is doing in this new thing called the church. And remember, they didn't have the book of Acts to read. They didn't have Paul's epistles yet to read through. They didn't have all of that. They're literally being led by the Holy Spirit in front of them. They're not looking back trying to figure out how to do church. They're literally fixing their eyes on him and he's teaching them as they go. And as they begin to see um, non-Jews beginning to get saved and to know the Lord by the Holy Spirit. James, who's, who's, who's speaking here, begins to say, this is what God is doing. God is restoring the throne of David, the, the, the tabernacle of David, which of course represents, you know, Jesus was called the son of David. It represents the authority and, the, and that, that kingdom line that was going to come down through David because Jesus came out of that lineage. But every time you get the God's authority and that throne and that government being set up, there will always, always, always be a restoration of, of temple worship. There will always be a powerful display of the presence of God. Whenever you get the correct authority happening in church, when you get correct authority coming under heaven, when you get correct establishment of the people of God, there will always follow. There will always follow a restoration of the presence of God in worship, always. You just have to look through the times in the, in the Old Testament. And you know what? The cloud of God's glory wants to come in and visit us more than even we want it. He wants to do the work in our midst. I don't know about you, but I don't want to come to church every week and always have it the same. We don't want that, do we, guys? Nah, we don't want that. I mean, I love you all. Don't get me wrong. I love seeing your faces, but don't we all come here anticipating. I came here today going, God, what are you going to do today? Can you do what you did last week? You know, and then next week it'll be the same thing. But like, Here's a wind that blows. We don't know where, we don't know when, but we've got to come anticipating. 
And all we have to do is partner. All we have to do is, is give a sacrifice of praise and worship him. So when you look at the New Testament manifestation of power during corporate worship, and I'll get the music team to come up now. You know, we're now this new temple, this spiritual temple made of living stones, and our purpose is to declare the praises of him. I love it when you begin to read through the book of Acts and you begin to see Acts chapter 2, verses uh, 46 and 47. In fact, I'll read it from verse 43. It says here, Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of hearts, praising God. There it is. Giving that sacrifice of praise and having favor with all the people. And then you know what it says? And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. All we have to do is fix our eyes on him. All we have to do as the people of God is bring our burdens before the Lord. Like We all have burdens, right? But then we've got to remember it's a sacrifice of praise. Something incredible happens when we just begin to say, God, you know, Brahma and I do this. It's, it's part of who we are as a married couple. From day one, when we became Christians together, you know, we lived in sin together and we got saved together. We got baptized in water together, got filled with the Spirit together. We went into ministry together. We go through the fire together. We've been through the storms. But you know what? The praise of God, the magnifying of God's name is not far from our lips. It's the only thing that keeps us going. It's the only thing that keeps us steadfast. It's the only thing that keeps us. It's like, a, it's like we're anchored because we're fixing our eyes. We're anchored in Him. When we join together and we magnify Him, we honor Him. We don't, it's not just asking. It's not just two or three gathered asking. No, it's, it's worship. It's in His name. We're gathered in His name. In other words, there's a heart that's yielding and surrendering to the person of Jesus. He encapsulates all of God to us. The person of Jesus is there for us to look at and read about and then to meet in our hearts because He is God in the flesh. He's everything we need. And when we look to Him and we partner with Him and we surrender to Him and to His will and to His purposes, that's worship, guys. That is worship. Worship isn't about cool songs. Worship isn't about the, you know, the, the, the chords that we play and all that. That's, that's, that's our skill that we bring. But worship is a surrendered heart. And the, the fruit of our lips is the sacrifice of our praise when we least feel like saying, God, I love you, is the very time we need to scream it from the rooftop. Say, God, I'm yours. I belong to you. I'm marked by you. I'm sealed by you, by your spirit. I know you've got good things planned for me. I know you've got good works planned for me, prepared beforehand. And if necessary, I'll go through the fire, God, so that there'll be a proving 
my faith. Because to make a vessel, a silversmith has to get the dross out of the silver, out of the gold, to make a vessel of honour. And every time you step in the doors of this place and we gather together and we begin to worship God, it's another opportunity for the, for the brick maker to look at your brick and go, okay, come on, look, set your eyes on me and I'll perfect the imperfections in you. I'll bring you through the storm. I'll create something in you. Something supernatural happens, guys, individually and then together corporately we are being built into this house and we become priests before God. It's, it's the most amazing thing. So I'm going to ask us now, we're going to, you, this, it's not a, about an emotion. You know, you might look at me and go, oh, die, that's just you, because you're so loud, and whatever, whatever. Yeah, I am, but you know. But hey, Brahm is not loud. But when Brahm is a sacrifice of praise, you know. And I'm not talking about loud, I'm talking about a stance. It's like a victory stance. It's like some really beautiful news about something he just began to cry on the other end of the phone and I was of course I was already gone I was bawling and a text came through right when we were on the phone to each other and he just began to cry and break and his first thing was to say God I love you so much thank you Lord the first response out of that man's mouth was thankfulness to God and we just began to worship Praise God. And God inhabits that kind of sacrifice of praise. Honouring God. Remembering where every good thing comes from. So this morning, you know, the Bible says that we're hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And over my years as a pastor and as a leader, I've seen plenty of hard hearts, believe me. But you know what? we begin to give a sacrifice of praise in the presence of God. It's like a deception of that sin. It just kind of begins to melt. And He gives us a soft heart. Let's all stand. Let's stand. And I want you, whatever you're going through today, whatever storm or circumstance you're facing, whatever your, what turmoil you might be in, you know what? Let's, let's make Him preeminent. Let's just sing this song with, with all of our hearts and then I'll pray for you guys as we close at the end. Let's give a sacrifice of praise.